1: This is episode number eight with our guest, Dave Sanderson.
0: On today's episode. US Airways 1549 was going down. I think that was sort of the first thought process that last minute because I tell people ask me all the time, what was that last minute like? And one of the things I tell people was it was amazing because it's like the movie of my life was passing before my eyes.
1: Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. Probably to no surprise, this episode is profound in many ways and personally helped me approach the smaller moments in my day-to-day in a very different way. What do I mean? Our guest is Dave Sanderson. Dave was one of the 155 passengers and crew to all survive the miracle on the Hudson, United Flight 1549, as it crashed into the Hudson River back in 2009. As you know, the details of the extraordinary event were made into the Hollywood movie Sully. Our guest became the last passenger off of the plane, and from takeoff to crash landing, it was only six minutes. Dave details what he was going through mentally and emotionally, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, 120 seconds prior to hitting the water, literally seeing his life flash before his eyes, having to accept the worst case scenario. This conversation with Dave allowed me to consider what I would do in any tragic situation if I knew my life was coming to an end in the next few minutes. Would I be comfortable with my life choices? Would I be comfortable with how all relationships are left? Would I be comfortable with the person I have been? Asking myself these questions has allowed me to deliberately and consciously live in the present moment, in every small moment throughout the day. You know life is precious. Tragedy occurs at any time and often without warning. Life can change in a split second, and it did that day for Dave. He's been given a second chance. Ask yourself those difficult questions about your own actions, your own choices, and your own relationships. If tragedy struck and it all was coming to an end in the next few minutes, could you right now make peace with that? It's never too late to change old habits or patterns that no longer serve you. I hope this discussion with Dave helps you make the better choices like it did for me. Here we go. Hey there, welcome into the studio. The on-air button is shining bright and we are ready to go. I am your host, Josh Carey. If if you have spent any amount of time like I surely have thinking about the meaning of life and your purpose in this life. And connecting that to how absolutely precious it all is, our guest today can fully relate. You know our time here must be valued and appreciated every moment because within a moment it can all change. And it did change for our guest as he was a passenger on United Flight 1549 on January 15th, 2009, which came to be known as the Miracle on the Hudson. All 155 passengers miraculously survived when the plane lost power to both engines, and Captain Chesley Sullenberger and First Officer Jeffrey Skiles successfully landed that plane in the Hudson. Our guest is Dave Sanderson, who was the last person off of that plane, and I am honored he is with us here today in every regard. Help me welcome, it's Dave Sanderson. How in the world are you doing, sir?
0: I'm wonderful, Josh. Thank you for having me today.
1: Absolute pleasure to say the least. Let's get right into this because certainly you have so much to share. Let me ask you and start with this question. How have you come to make sense of life since the crash?
0: Well, U.S. Airways 1549 was going down. I think that was sort of the first thought process, uh, that last minute, because I tell people ask me all the time, "What was that last minute like?" And I, one of the things that I tell people was, "It was amazing because it's like the movie of my life was passing before my eyes, mm. and it was it had such clarity." And and I didn't know whether I, that was I'm the only person the world's ever happened to, but I contrast that with somebody who I know who survived the earthquake in Haiti, who was under rubble for a number of hours, and she had a very similar experience. So, I think the way it really is transformed was, you know, I saw with clarity why I was here. And all of a sudden, things were popping in my head that I hadn't seen in years. All of a sudden, it's like, this is these moments in my life were all put in my life to get me to this moment, whether I'm going to a better place or I want to come back here. So I think that what really happened for me and the transformation happened for me is I often had clarity what, why I was here and knew I knew I had to do something different or do something with it now that I've been given that second chance. Mm. And
1: amazingly you were not even supposed to be on that
0: plane is that true no I was scheduled to be on the five o'clock flight because I was at the end of a three-day business trip which ended in Brooklyn and that day we were just visiting a distribution center which opened up at 2 a.m. in the morning Because they all distribution centers open up early and And we wanted to get there when all the stuff was happening because that's, we were doing systems checks and things like we were evaluating systems and it all kicks in about 5 a.m. So we got there at 5 a.m. So we got done about 10 and I was in a three day business trip. I'm like, yeah, let's get home early. So that's why I called the travel agent and work with her. And she put me on flight 1549. So I gave up a first class seat at five o'clock to be on a C15A on U.S. Airways flight 1549. Mm. So, now,
1: let's go back towards, because I know uh, from, from takeoff till the incident, how many minutes actually was that?
0: Well, it was approximately six minutes uh, from the moment we actually took off to the moment of impact in the water. So somewhere between that time frame, uh, you know, give or take a few seconds, you're there.
1: Wow. Okay. So, so six minutes, everything changes. So when did you realize eh, something isn't quite right?
0: Well, I heard the impact of the birds and, but canily I fly so often, I still fly over a hundred times a year. I thought The plane lost an engine. So, I, you know, it did startle me at that moment because I know from flying so often the planes have multiple engines. So I thought I was just going back to the, uh, to the Guardia. But it wasn't until we crossed over the George Washington Bridge and uh, the plane roughly cleared the bridge. so it's about 400 plus or minus feet and the bridge is roughly 600 feet up. So we were roughly around 1,000 feet at that moment. And as we crossed over the bridge and I looked out my window because I was in the window seat, I saw people's faces looking up and I'm like, man, we're pretty close. And um, all of a sudden all you saw is water in front of you. So you, at that point you pretty much knew that uh, it probably wasn't going to end up very well. So now at
1: that time, again, six minutes from takeoff to impact. Um, what, what was, what was going through your mind quite literally 60 seconds, 90 seconds, 120 seconds prior.
0: So when we, when we crossed over the bridge and I heard the words, this is your captive embrace for impact. That's when I knew that something was happening. So that's when I started praying. And uh, you know, I said, okay, I just basically had three parts of my prayer. Number one, Whoever that dude is up front, man, he just gave me down in one piece. Second, I hope the last person I spoke with, who was my client, who was over in Brooklyn to call my wife and tell her that I did love her. And thirdly, I prayed to God to forgive my sins. And then I put my wallet into my pants because, you know, I just wanted, if something did happen, at least they could find who I was. And that's why I wanted, at least I wanted my family to know who I was on the plane and I was on the plane. So that was about, you know, roughly about two minutes plus or minus out, and then as we started going over the bridge, it was roughly 60 to 70 seconds. So, as I mentioned, I think the last 60, 70 seconds, it was uh, the movie of my life passing before my eyes. And the, the last thing that I, I thought about, I have had four for impact, because I remember I looked at and said, I hope my wife pays off the mortgage. And because we made a, basically a promise to each other, one day we're going to pay this thing off. And at least I knew now she's going to be a multimillionaire and she's going to be able to hopefully pay off the mortgage. And I said, I hope she pays off the mortgage. And I put my head down and it was impact. So you prayed and
1: within those final 30 seconds, 45 seconds, 60 seconds, as much as you could have been, were you quote unquote okay with whatever would have happened?
0: Yeah, I I think once I had the clarity of what was going on and I saw everything, and it was, I tell people, was it was amazing because people say, well, were the people freaking out? I said, no, it was extremely calm on the plane because I think people were resolute that this is probably not going to turn out well. And some people were texting you know, their loved ones. Some people were praying. You could hear them praying out loud. I heard one person praying the Lord's Prayer out loud. So I think people were checking in. It's like, you know, this is probably not going to turn out well. So I think everybody was sort of into themselves at that point. It's like, I better get things sort of squared away because – probably a few seconds from now, I may or may not be here. Right? So I, I tell people, it's an amazing, amazing serenity you can because you have no control. The one thing you realize when you're on a plane, you have no control except your mind. That's one of the things I talk about in leadership. You got to manage your mind, right? And so I think, uh, and I think the other part of this, Josh, was from the business side of the equation, you want to look from the logistics business side, and I teach this, is that, uh, you know, the, the passenger makeup of the plane had everything to do with this outcome. I mean, he, the, the crew get the, Credit for getting it down, but it was the passenger makeup of the plane that helped the part, the second part of the rescue, because the majority of not ninety some percent were business people on this plane, and so you had roughly maybe ten or so percent, which is maybe eight to ten people that were not, you know, and they were on personal travel. So business people know how to handle themselves pretty much, and then I contrast that with something I heard from a captain, who said that even if this could be done, say in Orlando. What's the passenger makeup planes going out of Orlando? 180 degrees different than New York because it's now pleasure people. People going to Disney and SeaWorld and travel. And, so 10% of the people on the plane coming back from Orlando. And I do that quite often. It's, it's, that's why I usually get first class when I come back to Orlando because I'm one of the few business people on the plane. So the passenger makeup of the plane, had, I think, had a lot to do with people sort of checking with themselves, getting them things lined up, and sort of a, putting hopefully a plan together. And that's what happened for me.
1: So that's, a, that's an incredible v- version of, of, of the way to look at it, that you're saying that because 90 plus percent of the passengers were business professionals, they had a frame of mind going into it that allowed them to personally and collectively approach that mission successfully.
0: And I, I tell people, this is a tremendous you know, blueprint for teamwork because you have 150 people, passengers, who didn't know each other or care about each other. All of a sudden, they had a common mission, and they pulled something off in a matter of moments that had never been pulled off before. It's an amazing lesson on if you just get your alignment with your mission and sort of put yourself in that state of mind, have what you can accomplish very quickly. And I tell people, what if you could do that in your company? You could get people this on the same page on the same mission and, and check your egos at the door like a majority of the people did. Uh, cause I, there's no people stepping on people. There's no people jumping on people. There's no people yelling. It was, I, I use the term controlled chaos, Josh, which means people were moving fast. And I mean no one was hanging around. All right. But no one was losing it. So, I mean, it was, it was as orderly as it could be. So people were, you know, sort of checked into the mission. And I think that's a tremendous business lesson for people. What was your night
1: like when you returned home? to your
0: family? Well, I didn't get home to the next day. I stayed the night in the hospital because I had hypothermia. So I, uh, you know, there was a few of us that stayed the night in the hospital and I was one of those because I had, my body temperature got down to 94 uh, because I was in the water inside the plane for roughly seven minutes, waist deep in 36 degree water. And then I swam to the boat um, and the water, you know, it's you know, it you know, it cold water. So by the time I got to the triage center, they basically had to strip my clothes off because I was cold but by the time I got to the hospital. My temperature was still 94. My blood pressure was out of control. So that's one of the reasons that another passenger that I communicate often with, Barry and I, we were in the hospital. He cracked his sternum uh, based on a lot of the things that were going on. So we were the two passengers that stayed tonight night at the New Jersey side of the, side of the river. So I, I didn't get home until the next day. But it was a, that was a wild night tell people. You know, I, I, people wanted to talk to us because one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot, but if you saw the movie Sully – you sort of saw how it played out because the crew was locked away. No one was getting to the crew, right? They were locked down at the Courtyard Marriott LaGuardia. So the people who had questions were coming to people like me and other people that, you know, they could get to us. So they could ask us questions and what was going on. So that was all night long. I was getting questions of Governor New Jersey and Port Authority Director and, State police in both New York and New Jersey, FBI, Homeland Security. I mean, people were just coming in there asking questions all night long. So it was a pretty wild, that was a pretty wild night.
1: So that night you are, I mean, I don't know how much you were in the clear. Certainly you're under good care. But when you were laying there not being bombarded by people um, and you were just with your own thoughts, what was... What were those private moments like in terms of, I just went through that?
0: That didn't really hit me until about 1 or 2 in the morning. Because you know, things were going by that night, right? I was uh, five hours. It took them to basically warm me up. So I was getting a lot of care and a lot of people. But About midnight, 1 o'clock, U.S. Airways liaison came, and she started taking care of things. So about 1 or 2 in the morning, when all of a sudden, I'm like checking to myself. I'm like, what the heck just happened? And all of a sudden, all, all night long on the TV they had running were show, you know, pictures of plane cr- crashes. You know, I mean, it was like, you know, the, like in one of the Indian Oceans, the one that stuck in my head because that was the one where it caught the tip and it was like flipping over out into the ocean, Indian Ocean. I'm like, I'm like, wow, what happened? And all of a sudden I realized, man, this is, this is amazing. I survived this, man. And all of a sudden that's when started, things started coming back to me very slowly. Was like. What really happened that day? I mean, I survived a plane crash. And I think that's when it started hitting me pretty severely about two or three o'clock that morning. And when you did
1: make it home to your family the next day, what was that initial meeting like? What well, was said? US, yeah.
0: US Airways did a tr- tremendous job. They had my family there, you know, at the airport. And, <clears throat> excuse me, they brought, they were able to bring them down to the gate, which was, you know, nowadays, that's, that's pretty tough to do if you don't have a, have a ticket. But uh, they met me at the gate, and then they, they quickly took us back to the U.S. Airways Club so we could have some private time with my, you know, our families and the U.S. Airways representatives and American Red Cross representatives and the chaplain at the airport. So it was a, that was a very unbelievable moment because I think my family was probably more emotional than I was until we got to the escalator. We were on our way out, and all of a sudden the media was down there. And I was taking down the escalator. And my wife's sort of like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. You know, my kids are like sort of, what's going on? And I think that's when I started getting like, this is really, this is bigger than I anticipated. I knew it was big in New York. But when I got back to Charlotte and my family was now involved with what was going on, I think that was probably the most emotional I got. You talk about,
1: I know that you are a podcast host also, and your, your podcast is called Moments Matter. Why? What does that mean?
0: Well, thank you for asking me because I, I just started my radio show and podcast recently. and you know, People were asking me to do it, but Kelly, as you know, I mean, there's a lot of logistics to go into it and you, do I really have a message? But what really happened was, and this happened, came from my book, Moments Matter. It started with just a random phone call with, from a neighbor to my wife who called me where I'm sitting, where you're sitting the city, this is exactly where I was sitting when I got this phone call. And it was a couple of neighbors down the street that needed some help get their TV on. And yeah, they're older ladies and they're neighbors. So, you know, you're going to do whatever you can for your neighbor, right? I mean, it's like, you I like can blow your neighbor off. So I'm not coming down to help you with your TV. So, I, my wife called me and said, would you go down house? So, I went out and helped them. And they were older ladies. They well, you know, they, it was very easy. And they said, you stay for milk and cookies. Of course, I'm not going to turn out milk and cookies. I mean, I mean, I love milk and cookies, number one. But number two, these are older ladies. You could probably bake, right? So I'm like, these are probably good milk and cookies. Of course, I'm going to hang around. So they're getting milk and cookies, and they, I was sitting on their couch, and they had this, this table, and I started looking at the books, and there were pictures of concentration camps. And I love World War II history. I love it. I just – and I'll watch it. I'll read about it. And they came out and said, hey, where did you get these? They said, well, we were there, and all of a sudden they turned up their sleeves and showed me the inside of their arm, I saw these numbers. I'm like, you were there. She goes, oh, they? Yes, we we were in that. And then they showed me the picture where they were in this camp. I said, You got to tell me the story. Tell me the story. Let me record the story for history. He said, They can't record it. We'll tell you the story. But I couldn't record it. And all of a sudden I realized, you know, these people survived something horrific. This is, I mean, these people, I mean, they, they have a story. And my former sister said, This is why you need to tell the story. This is how my show came about. Because I realized at that moment, all these moments in our life really do add up. You never know when that one moment in your life is going to trigger something that's going to help you 30, 40, 50 years from now. They had a moment when they were just kids. They were in a concent- They learned how to survive a concentration camp when they were young. So they gave them a frame of mind for that one moment. That the rest of their life, they could survive anything. Mm-hmm. Same thing with me. I survived a plane crash. And I had all these moments that led up. What helped me survive a plane crash? And I looked at all these moments. Like when I was in Boy Scouts, I learned some skill sets. I had to swim across a river. To get an award for a Boy Scout. I said, maybe that was the moment it gave me this, gave me the certainty to be able to jump in the river and swim away from the plane. Maybe that was the moment. I don't know. I started looking at all these moments that added up. I was like, that's it. People have, everybody has a story, has moments. Let's do a story about the people who got to the best of what they're doing and find out the moments in their life that got them to that point and dissect it. And that's why I started the show. And then later on in January, I started my own Alexa Daily Flash briefing. I'll uh, call Dave Sanderson Declassified so I can take this, this, this information down in like a five-minute format so people can quick, quickly hear two or three quick nuggets on how these people got to where they're at.
1: You were the last passenger off the plane, not because you were in the back of the plane. It was almost your choice by
0: design, right? And it wasn't my game plan. I mean, my, <clears throat> my game plan was get to the aisle, get up, and get out. You know, but I looked up and I saw something that sort of caught my eye. I saw people walking on the seats to get out of the plane. And I didn't realize until later. That, that's a great metaphor for my life now that I remember that. Because I always thought I only had one pathway out, get to the aisle. But all of a sudden, when you're, yeah, when you're resourceful, all of a sudden these other pathways start opening up in your life. You're resourceful. So I said, wow, this is a great metaphor for life, right? When you think you have one way to get something done, just be resourceful and it opens up. But I got to the aisle and I'm like, all right, I'm out of here. But all of a sudden, I heard my mom in my back of my head say, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And that was something she would tell me when I was a child. If you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And after I start thinking about that later on, like my mother never told me what to do, Josh. She'd always make me make a choice. And I say I, I've realized that's one of the things I have not done well as a parent. I, I will hallucinate there's other parents who are probably in the same place where we make our decisions for our kids, right? This is what you're going to do. We would all make them give a choice and have a consequence. See, my mother always made made us make choices, to have consequences. So when we grew up, we could make decisions. So the decision I made was go towards the back of the plane because I knew that I was all right. Didn't know what was going on in the back of the plane, but you know what? I'll check it out and then I'll get out. And so I went to the back, climbed back the seats the other way, got behind everybody, started making my way out. So when I got to the door, I went, I looked over to the right and I saw you know you know 10F on the right. It was and, and I didn't know it was 10F at that point. I saw the light. So I just got out. It's like I was getting out like everybody else. But then I got to the door, I looked out, and there was no room on the wing for me. It was all filled up and no room on the boat. So that's why I was inside the plane for about six, seven minutes, waist-deep in 36-degree water. So it wasn't by choice, but ha- just by happenstance that that's what happened. And all of a sudden, I heard people yelling at me. And I didn't know initially why they were yelling at me, but what I found out was that, you know, that little lifeboat that's on the side that you see the pictures of, was floating out in the river because the plane was floating down the river because of the current. Hudson River's got a very fast current. I didn't know that. So they were yelling to hold on. So There's a picture that was shown of me on Good Morning America holding on. There's a little lifeboat waist deep in 36-degree water, and that's how I became either the last or one of the last passengers out of the plane at that moment because I was holding on to this lifeboat so people could get access to the wing.
1: Speaking of choices and decisions and I I, I'm sure at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, you probably have have no real time in that situation to consciously make a decision. Is that right? Things are just all of your 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 history of life that brought you
0: to this point kicks in, in, yeah? yeah. That's exactly I think I tell you all the training, everything you learn kicks in at that moment. I mean, and that's what's really amazing because I had all this training. Right? I mean, I had sales training. I was 31-plus years in the sales. But I was also a head of security for a guy by the name of Tony Robbins. And just being around that and understanding the mindset of him and the people that he hung with, you know, I I tell people, that was all the education that I got that sort of kicked in. It's like, you know, because I know some of the strategies he uses. And he talks about strategies, right? And I learned these strategies just by being around him. And it's like one of the strategies is how to manage your state how to manage your mind. And that's one of the first things he teaches in all of his, all of his you know, conferences and, and seminars he does. And so for me, managing my state was like number one thing. If I could manage my mind, at least I could get through it. Everything else could happen, but at least I could manage my own mind because that's the only thing I could control at the moment was my mind. So
1: you, that's, that's extraordinary. You, you spent 30 plus years in sales, and at the same time, you also spent a good deal of, of time head of security
0: for Tony Robbins. That, that's correct. And, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, there, you get to college education, you get to formal education, all that is good. But practical everyday education being around great people, and I, that was another lesson I tell my kids, I tell people, you got to put yourself around great people. I've always – one of the things my dad taught me when I was young, and it was a great lesson in Canley back in the 60s and 70s, I didn't understand what he was talking about, you know. I was a young kid. But he always said, put yourself around access, around great people. And the first time he did that for me, and I've never talked about this, was when he took me to my first professional baseball game. And, we, and I loved Johnny Bitch. I mean, Johnny Bitch was the man, right? But my dad's man was Willie Mays. I mean, he grew up in a depression. Willie Mays was the man in the 50s, right? So the Giants are playing the Reds, and he got behind the plate seats for, at Crosley Field for the Reds versus Giants. And he told me, I, I've only read about this once, but he said, watch how they prepare. And, and I never understood that, right? I'm mean, eight years old, right? What's going? But I saw how these professionals prepare their minds to get into a game. I'm talking about two of the best that's ever played a game. <laughs> Excuse me. And so that was, a great, I thought, that was a great lesson for me to learn how to prepare my mind prepared to be able to go into battle or go into games, go into whatever I was going to go into by seeing these world-class people. So I always put myself around people that were leaders who were the best that they could be. And that that, that top 1% as Tony calls them. Right. So that's one of the reasons I was, I do, I still do today. If I have a chance to be around someone's world-class, I'll pay to go do that just to have that energy. Right. Mm.
1: So how do you prepare your mind?
0: Yep. Yeah. So I, there's three ways you can do it, and it all depends on the situation. But I'll tell you how I did it on the plane that day because, you know, the ways you do this are your physiology, right? When you get up and start moving around, you can change your state. That's why you see athletes. I talk about baseball, basically people who play hitters. When they go up, they're, they're pulling their gloves on everything else. They're putting themselves in the state to hit the ball. That's what they're doing through their physiology. The second way is the way I did it on the plane that day is through what's called your know, internal dialogue or the questions you keep asking yourself. Because A lot of people ask themselves crummy questions. So they put themselves in crummy states, you know, so I, I learned how to ask better questions. And one of the best questions I asked myself that day was how can I add even more value and enjoy the process? And people said, well, why'd you ask that? I'm like, well, I, I, I'm going to add value one way or another. You know, I'm going, going up or I'm going down and one way or another is going to happen. But the second thing that Tony taught me was is you got to enjoy the process. Most people forget that because if, if you, so you can see, see people adding value all day long, like, they go to their jobs, right? People go to their jobs every day, and they're adding value, but they hate their jobs. They're not enjoying the process. So, you know, ask yourself a better question. But the third way is what you focus on, because where energy goes, focus goes. Energy flows, focus goes. So if you put your energy towards one thing and focus in, you can, get, you can change your state of mind. That's why you see geniuses. That's how you see a genius come here, because all of a sudden they can compact their focus, and I'm going to solve cancer. And that's all they think about. So that's all that focus. That's how they manage their state. So that's how I talk about managing state and you can manage your state in a business meeting. I used to do the business meeting where, you know, through the questions are to tap my foot or move my hand some way just to get myself ready to rock and roll. And that's what happened that day on, the, on the plane getting out.
1: Now, so from, from January 15th, 2009 you've spoken certainly countless of times were you even remotely going in that direction prior or was that one of the outcomes of the situation?
0: That Josh, that was not my game plan. Um, you know, My game plan was just go back to work because I was making good money. You know, I was 30 plus years of sales. I'm doing pretty well, right? I mean, we're, uh, we're okay. I mean, you can always do better, right? But we're okay. But fortunately for me, you know, Tony took me under his wing. Tony was the only person that called me that night in the hospital and we had a a very long conversation when I about eleven twelve o'clock that night in the hospital when he i tell people he said, well, he said how did he know where you were at i said well he's got pretty good resources you know he he's he's got enough people out there to figure out things right so uh but uh, you know after um what I really started is this next event was going to be in secaucus new jersey and i was still had a security and his assistant her name was liz at that point called and said dave are you gonna be there because she knew i'd been through the plane crash right and you gotta be i mean it's new jersey you know, four or five weeks after the plane crash, are you gonna be okay? I said, of course, I won't be there, right? But when I got there, I told her and I told him. I said, hey, I'll probably have more media here than you. And so he's looking at me like, look at what? She's like laughing. I said, so what happened? CBS showed up because I knew I was coming to the town because I was head of security of town. I mean, it all came together, right? So he started coaching me on basically what to prepare for, and basically we got to about a year, about a year or so later, I was speaking randomly, you know, at churches and things like that. And that's how I really started was in the churches. But he said, you know, if you don't do this now, you're never going to do it. He basically said, he cut the course. You got to burn the boats. This is your opportunity. You have a, you have a message to share. you got to figure this out and get it done right now. So what he did, he said, this is going to be your last event with me. He basically said, he basically was very kind. He I listen, I want to cut you loose so you can do what you need to do. And so after 10 plus years, you know, we were, we were in Chicago and we were sitting in Sweden. He said, this is, this is their final event. I'm going to make sure that you you have, you have do what you got to do, to get out of here and do it. So he's, he's been a tremendous mentor to me. And that was really the impetus to do what I'm doing it now. But I was speaking at churches and stuff, and that um, that was great. But then I started taking the Zig Ziglar approaches. You know, you do 50 or 60 events and you sort of learn your stuff, right? I mean, you don't get paid for it. You just sort of learn your craft. Because one of the things Tony taught me is you never take a note on stage. You've got to know it internally you got, you got to be so embedded with what you know, your knowledge, your content, that you got to speak from the heart. That's why I see him so passionate on stage. So I said, okay. So I did like 50 or 60 church events and community events and Red Cross events for free until I really sort of internalized what my message was. And, of course, that's grown now, the leadership and growth and other things. But it was, it was a tremendous opportunity that Tony taught me.
1: What was then in 2009 when you and Tony were having that kind of conversation where he said, this is your last event with us. You have to go uh, spread your message. What, what did he mean or what was your message at that time?
0: I, I answered the first question and the second question. Well, what happened was is every time I would, would pick him up to go to an event, he'd ask me a question. And it was the same question. You know, when are you going to stop working for that company and do something for yourself? You can never be free until you work for yourself. And I would come up with excuses, you know, and some of them were valid, right? I mean, but after so many times, he knows he called BS on you, right? He knows, right? You're not going to lie, right? So that was number one. But number two, well, what was my message, right? Why would I get out? How could I start something myself? I don't even know how to do it. But when I had the opportunity to speak, and really the first part of the message was just about that experience. People wanted to hear about that experience. But what happened was the message started growing around these attributes, like we were talking about, about state management and you know managing your mind and and how to how do you put yourself in that state and you know leadership, teamwork, persistence, and all that started going out to a point where now I'm speaking with corporations and, and doing leadership, you know, workshops about how how to pull people together how to pull people together when they have no common interests what are the skill sets that they have to have you got to be able to do so it's really blossomed and I've been very honored to be able to do that over the last uh, several years
1: there's just so much so much fascination in how how your journey your journey changed completely certainly obviously prior to this did you fear death
0: I don't know if I feared death. I didn't want to die. I know that. And I had a couple of near-death experiences caused by myself being stupid, right? I mean, you do stupid things when you're young, like you know, jumping off a cliff in the middle of the night into the water. Right? I mean, what you, or flipping your car because you know, you're going too fast around a curve, and all of a sudden, you know, you survive. I didn't fear death, but I think my minister at that point um, sort of opened my eyes to something. And it was he heard me speak. I had the honor and privilege of speaking at the 9/11 services here which was, as you know, being especially where you are in New Jersey, it's a very emotional day, wherever you are in the country. And I had military and fire and police. And Here they asked me to give this message, right? And I invited my minister, and he never heard me speak outside the church realm. He heard me speak from the church perspective and the spiritual perspective, which is good stuff. But I said, you need to hear me outside. You need to hear what I talk about. So as we were walking back to the car, he said, you know what? He said, you know, and I'm a Methodist. He said, you know, in our faith, the faith, you're baptized once into the, into the water, to the Spirit. He says, it was like you went in the water, and all of a sudden you came out, and it was a different person. He said, it was like, we don't believe in re-baptism, but it was like, you sort of were baptized again with a whole new mission. And it sort of came, opened up to you, like in the clouds. And that's exactly, I think, what happened. It's like, I went in, all of a sudden, I opened my eyes, like, it's, it's not all about me, Right? Where you're a sales guy, I, you know, I'm sure you have some people who are salespeople and managers who are listening today, and a lot of us about your own personal significance. I got to get the number, I gotta get quota right, I got to do so many phone calls, you got to do all these things, right? And It's all about you. But the true successful, the the most powerful people are the ones who check their ego at the door. It makes it about other people, and that's what's flipped for me. It. It's you know why It's not all about me, you know. I and I've got to figure out how I can add value to other people, and how I make them sort of give them the significance to sort of check my ego at the door. All of a sudden things start opening up and that's how things start blossoming in my business. It's like, it's not about me, man. You know, if I can help you be a better person, whether it's through my podcast, my daily vaccination, my online course, whatever it is, then I've accomplished my mission today. And all of a sudden when I check my ego at the door, it's not about me. That's Josh when Everything opened up for me. Mm -hmm. I checked my significance at the door.
1: You talk about, how each of us will have or have had our own personal plane crash. What does all that mean?
0: Yeah, I I appreciate you bringing it up because that's one of the things I realized is is that everybody in life has something happen to them. And I started looking and I, I started reading about leaders. I actually sort of blogged about this even all the way back about these leaders, especially leaders, that they all had to face something in their life. I mean, no one just goes through life, it's all easy, and you get to that point, you're making millions of dollars, and, and you make millions the rest of your life. A lot of people make millions and all of a sudden go down. Or they have a heart attack. Or, like recently, I had a friend who I met back in 1999 when I was head of security for Tony, and we were on the Big Island of Hawaii, and he would take care of us. Dave Sam. But unfortunately, Sam just lost his house in a volcano. Now, who loses their house in a volcano, right? I mean, that's a one in a billion shot, okay? But that's his personal plane crash moment, right? He lost his house in Hawaii. So I, I realized that everybody's got that one moment. And it's like, what do you do with that moment, right? And a lot of people go into depressed states. A lot of people do. And, and, I, and, I mean, I've had the honor to go to places like Fort Hood in Texas and Oklahoma, after tornadoes in Eastern Shore, North Carolina, after Super Sandy, And just last fall, I went to Pompano Beach after Hurricane Irma. And I, one of the, the benefits I get now, Josh, is to talk to people who've gone through these experiences. That's a benefit that I get. And I find out that everybody, you know, a lot of these people get depressed afterwards. And no wonder they lost their house, they had a heart attack, something's happened traumatic. But the one, some, some people have learned how to flip it and grow from it. And that's sort of what my mission sort of moved now. From It's not a plane crash experience, it's a traumatic life experience that everybody's got. I'm not the only guy in this world that's ever had it. And I go back to the first thing I shared about those two older ladies, they survived a concentration camp. Who on earth now, there's very few people, and there's a few, unfortunately, probably now in that situation, but no one has that experience. But they survived it. Let's get to these people and understand the strategies they used, right? To overcome that personal plane crash experience in their life called a concentration camp. And I got to talk to these people, and understand that mindset. So that's one of the things my missions is now is helping people who've faced something overcome it and how to do it and the steps to do it. And through
1: that, you've developed something called PTGS, post-traumatic growth syndrome. Tell me, please.
0: I I didn't come up with that term. I I was actually approached by AARP magazine to do an interview. And, you know, when they approached me, I get approached a lot to do interviews, right? And they said they want to interview me. I said, well, what can I add value? I mean, you know, I know nothing about AARP, right? And candidly, I knew, why would you want to talk to me? And I thought I was too young anyway. Right? I mean, that's for old people, right? But they, they found out that I helped the American Red Cross up to that point raise over $8 billion. They would understand, how did I grow from this thing? Why well, a lot of people went the other direction. And then they shared with me this term from, they, that was being, I guess, studied at UNC Charlotte, I think North Dakota State University, called it Post-Traumatic Growth Syndrome. And it's the strategies on people how people grow that people through depressed. And so they shared this with me and all of a sudden it's was like, yeah, that's my story. So they interviewed me for this magazine, right? And they have this big, big article about the strategies I used to grow and they sort of coined this phrase PTGS and all of a sudden it's like, that's it. That's, that's how I can add value to other people. It's help people grow and share these strategies instead of talking about a plane crash. So I used a plane crash sort of the background on, on my traumatic life experience, but that's the term that they sort of, they coined and I just sort of took on myself.
1: What do we need to do to grow from our own personal plane crash?
0: There's a lot of strategies that I talk about. And I did a TED Talk up, up in, at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. People said, well, why'd you do it there? I was asked to do four TED Talks. It's the same, but it's a two-week period. But I selected there for two reasons. Number one, I want more of an international perspective. That's number one. But number two, Canada is going, and I do a lot of talks in Canada, Canada's going through a lot of challenges now with PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder, and I want to—I can at least do it in Canada and get the message out at least in Canada, and North America. And so, one of the strategies I talked about in my TED talk, and I talk about a lot more in one of my general talks, is about the power of meaning. Because one of the things that Tony taught me and teaches all these audiences that the, the meaning you attach to something produces the emotion of your life, and emotion really is your life. Your, your life's made of emotion. So, and you know, an emotion all these emotional connections sort of, are what your body's made up of. And so and he's, and he, and the way you do it is you call it, it's called reframing, right? You become conscious of those meanings you're attaching, because if I can help people understand those meanings, why they're going through their head, the way they are, the meanings they keep attaching, then I can help them reframe that. You know what? Because you can grow. You can change your meaning to anything. And I'll give you an example. There's, there's a, I know there's another gentleman who was on the plane with me and he, lost his job, he went through a divorce, he was going through a very challenging time of his life. And he said, this is a horrible, this is a tragedy, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to him. You know, I'm thinking, this is a blessing. Same experience, two separate meetings, right? And all of a sudden I'm starting to this dude's, the reason why this guy's miserable is because the meaning he attached to it's all negative. He's got he's got to have something positive, like, you know what, I get to get a new job. I get to start my own business. I get to go out and talk about this, Right. He, he attached a negative meaning instead of a positive meaning. And then people say, well, how do you do that? It's like the way you process it. And the way I process it was I get it out of my body. Because one of the things that Tony t- teaches and I subscribe I, I to and really talk about is, you know, the more you get this negative stuff in your body, it just gets deeper and deeper in your head, right? And, and so all of a sudden, you're so deep in your head, it's like, why does this always happen to me? This always happens to me. You're making generalizations in this meaning It's like, no, it doesn't always happen to you. Because if it did, you'd be dead. So it's like, if I can help people reframe the meanings, that's one strategy I use to help people grow and say, you know what? Yeah, it was a bad situation. Yes, you got, you got something happened to you, right? Like you, you There's this lady in Ontario I've been talking to for the last two years who survived an avalanche in Nepal, and she's locked up in this little cabin in northern Ontario. And I finally got a hold of her. I was talking to her. I'm talking her through this. And I'm like, so I used the older ladies down the street as an example. I said, yeah, that's a bad situation, but you survived. Because she had survivor's guilt, right? Why did it happen to them and not to me? Understand? Got it? I said, "Well, look at these two ladies. Her parents died in a concentration camp, but they survived. They could have gone through the same thing. Why did they die and we didn't? Instead, they got out and did something with it, and all of a sudden, built an amazing life out of a concentration." So I said, "I'm trying to help reframe by the changing the meaning by using those kind of references." So there's a lot of ways to do it.
1: One of the greatest things and there's many great things I've uh, I've heard Tony Robbins say is and it's certainly applicable here, life doesn't happen to us, life happens for us. Such a very mind-opening saying, huh?
0: Most definitely. And I you uh, know, you can see I Tony's been a great mentor to me and I I had the opportunity to be around him, and I've heard him say that many times because yes, you know, what well, Things happen for a reason, right? One thing, yeah, and he, didn't, he didn't quote it. He quotes this, but he didn't come up with it. Everything happens for a reason and a purpose, and it serves us. See, he added that last portion when I first heard him say this back in 1994. Everything happens for a reason and a purpose, right? And, it, and I've heard that one before, and it serves us. All well, of a it presupposes, right? It's going to happen, but I can make something positive out of it if I put the right meaning to it. Those are the little distinctions I, tell, I help people with, and, and I've learned, is, is you got to put something – something positive can happen out of every situation. Yes, you've lost a parent to cancer. I lost my dad to Parkinson's disease. You know, and that was – I saw him wither away, but one of the last times I got a chance to talk to him, we talked about the state of affairs, affairs of the United States. And it was – it's not, as you know, if you live in the United States as you do, I mean, there's a lot of division right now. I mean, you take a stand and pretty much you're not moving off that stand, and all of a sudden people are just fighting over stupid stuff. And we were talking about it. He goes, listen, he said, I was – born and raised in a depression. We were, my both parents worked, you know, we had to basically survive, we had nothing. But also I got a college education and all of a sudden I got a job, I had a family and all of a sudden, look what we have now. He goes, this too shall pass. Put your, he said, you gotta put yourself in that disciplined mindset. It's like, this'll pass, it's, nothing is permanent. And that was a great lesson for me. My dad's on his deathbed. He's talking about nothing's permanent. Wow, what a distinction. And somebody's probably going to die with. It. I think he did die within three or four weeks after that. So these all these little things—it happens for a reason, a purpose, and it serves us. It's true.
1: What is what is one thing in your daily rituals today, or a daily habit that you've since picked up since the incident in two thousand nine that you certainly may not
0: have that you do every day today? Well, the first thing I and I knew I. Did it rarely, so I can't say I never did it, but every day now, when I wake up, I spend that one first minute in gratitude, just thanking, give me another day. It says thanking, give me an opportunity to serve somebody else today, God, that's all I want, just give me one more shot to serve somebody else today, and all of a sudden it puts me in that state of gratitude, but then the second thing, the ritual that I do, and I, I learned this from being at an event, when I heard somebody pray for somebody's health, and I'm like, I've never heard anybody pray for somebody's health, I've heard him pray that you can do this and that, but. She prayed for somebody's health. I'm like, so the second thing I do is always take care of my body first because if I don't have the energy and the, and the ability to do it, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I've got to take care of myself first, and then I can honor other people even more financially, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And that's the second thing that I do. Two rituals I do every day.
1: Speaking of that, how does spirituality and
0: religion play a part in your life today? I think those are two different things. I mean, because. I, I think I've—I don't know if i have become more spiritual, but people have asked me all the time, "Was this a Saul to Paul moment for me? Was this like a conversion moment, right?" I felt, and I—that was the first interview I did, if, and it was Rick Warren's magazine, mission, mission-focused, you know, focus, whatever it was, mission-focused leadership or something like that. I forget what it's called, purpose. And he, I was—he asked me that question. I'm like, "No, it wasn't." I've always believed there's a greater being, whatever you want to call it. There's, but I—I I said this was a strong reference for faith. He gave me a reference for faith. I said, you know what? If you have faith, you at least, because you're believing in something you can't see. So if I keep, if I employ this one thing called faith on everything that I do, at least I know that it's going to work out one way or another. It may not work out to my benefit every time. My plan is not God's plan. That's one of the things I realized, right? You know, everyone wants everything to work out all the time for him. Well, that's not your, not his plan, right? Because I, I give the example back in 1994 is when I set my mission, right? And my mission was, I just I should see here, feel that the purpose of my life is to be happy, realize I accomplish anything I desire, would have faith in my Creator, inspiring others to be the same. And I wrote that on October 4th, 1994. But it didn't happen. And I'm like, I'm a loser, and I can't tell my wife. And I'm, you know, it's like, man, this is a waste of money, right? All of a sudden, but January 15, 2009 comes. And all of a sudden, that's realized that moment. I'm like, maybe God was telling me, oh, you're not ready to do this yet. So spirituality to me is like, you know, God, God will give you what he wants to give you when he wants to give it to you. You know, and maybe it's, you want it right now, and maybe you'll get it right now. Most often it's about delayed gratification. And that's why when I talk to millennials, especially, and when I do millennial talks, i am talk, all the millennials come up, it's like give me the fast track on how to do this. How do you how do you do this so quickly? I said, I give you the fast track, but you probably won't get it, right? Because it's all about delayed gratification. You have to put the reps in it. And you look at Tom Brady and all these guys. He's forty-some years old. And he's putting reps in, right, to be the greatest ever, probably. And I'm not a big Patriots fan, right? I love football, but I got—I admire that. That you know, you have to put the reps in to get the results. And a lot of people today want immediate results, and yeah, you can. You know, some people can get that You go to YouTube, and make a video right now, and get make a million bucks. But true fulfillment takes delayed gratification, and that's something I learned from Dennis Whitley back in the '80s when I first started doing all this stuff.
1: Hmm. What do you believe happens when it's all over our time here?
0: Well, I believe I, I think I am going to a greater place and I believe that I will be held to judgment. just like we all will. We get to that, we'll get to that point. And I've done, you know, I there's a lot of things in my life that I have to answer for. We all have to answer for, I'm not the only guy, but I believe that, you know, hopefully I've done enough good on the scale to at least get me into a better place. I, I believe that I am going to a better place. I believe that, and, and I think I'll have more serenity for that when that happens. Like, you know so what, I've, I've lived the life that I was meant to live. And, you know, one of the people say, you know, one of the things that I was having to deal with is, and I'm going to go back and sort of answer this question in a different way. You know, I don't remember that plane crash in Buffalo. It was like four or five, six weeks after, right, where well, everybody died, right? And I, um, I had a client on that plane. She's from Charlotte, and she, was, um, she passed away. And I had to go visit this client. It was a very difficult time, because I survived. So I did this interview for I did a Skype interview in Montreal for this TV station. And the guy asked me, he said, "Why do you think they all died but you lived?" You know, I, I said, "You know, I was I was blown away. I was like, man, I don't know. I, I was like, I don't know what's setting. I was I just wasn't my time. I think that was what happened. God gives us, you know, this is your time, right? You, you don't know how long it is. So all these moments in our lives." You better make it matter because you never know what that one moment, like you said, to open up the show, that one moment's going to trigger something because it, it all comes down to one moment. So everybody dies in that one last moment, right? And you never know what's going to come. So you better live it to your fullest. And that's what I'm to do. What is next
1: for you? Where do you go from here?
0: Well, my next phase is I, I'm definitely going to write my next book. Uh, it's going to be around how to bounce back, how to, how to come back. Cause I think, you know, there's a lot of people who've written about this, but I'm going to give a firsthand experience of some of these lessons and strategies that I learned to hopefully at least leave a manual or transcript behind to say, you know what, you know, Dave's no longer here. Dave's been passed away for you know, 20 years, but at least there's his manuscript on how he got through what's called a plane crash and how other people got through it. So that's my next really a big thing on the horizon is that, and then, so we're, you know, we're branching. Out. I'm, in the, like I said, the 10th anniversary of the plane crash is coming up in January. I'm doing a big event up in New Jersey. I'm really excited to do that. But, you know, that's sort of going to be the, I think, the culmination of the last one, the last time I really talked about the plane crash. It's all about how to talk about growth and leadership and f- focusing on cultivating your own personal leadership skills. That's one of the things I just released in my new course because people keep coming to me. It's like, you know, they want to talk about leadership. I learned, learned long ago, it's all about you got to have your own personal leadership skills first before you can lead somebody else. So I, I put together a course because I want to leave a legacy behind. It's like, you know, these are my 12 thoughts on how to build your own personal, personal leadership skills. So when you hopefully you will look at it, when you face that moment in life, let's call it a personal plane crash moment, and you're going to face it. I mean, it may not happen to you directly, but what happens if your wife or husband gets cancer? You're in, that, you're in the middle of the plane crash, right? You're going down. How are you going to deal with it? How are you going to manage your mind? How, what kind of faith are you going to have? How, what kind of awareness do you need to have? These are the kind of subjects I talk about, right? It's about all these little skill sets that come together because you all of a sudden have to step up and lead when somebody else is all of a sudden you're going down, but you have an emotional attachment. How do you do that? So that's, uh, hopefully that's part of my legacy that I'll leave behind when, uh, when that moment comes.
1: Absolutely spectacular. I will leave you with this final question. Dave Sanderson, sir, how would you like to be remembered?
0: I just want to be remembered as somebody who, and I go back to the question, I added value to everybody I came into contact with, and I enjoyed the process. I mean, that my truth, I mean, people ask me about success. It's like, if I can just do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, where I want, that's immediate success, but the longer term success is, have I added value to you today? And by the same way, if I, if I enjoyed that process, I'm doing it. And if I've done those two things every day of my or in my life, the my life, added value to somebody, I've, I've I've done what I'm supposed to do on this earth. So, you know, that's why I get up in the first day. How can I add even more value and enjoy the process? That's the question I'm repeating to myself, then ingrained in my body. So every day, like today, hopefully, Josh, someone's listening to that, I've added somebody's value today. I've accomplished my mission for the day.
1: Wow. Well, I could speak up and say personally you have added an extraordinary amount of value. Um, how can somebody reach out and get in touch should they want to say hi and learn more?
0: Well, I would love they want to check out my website at Dave dot com. That's pretty much where everything resides. And and but like you said, I have my own radio show and podcast. It's on Contact Talk Radio, eleven o'clock on Mondays. It's called Moments Matter and uh very excited about that and or if you just if you have an, an echo device or an amazon device i'm really excited about what i'm doing with the alexa daily flash briefing because every day i bring new content and people's content for five minutes you can get some of this, this wisdom out there and this comes up on your phone or your echo device so it's dave sanderson declassified and then, you know uh, and when we're starting in fact we'll start kicking it off tomorrow josh is people have been coming to me so much josh is like how can we sort of get around this energy and get access? Cause like I talked about, my dad told me about access. How can I get access to the people that like you've had access to? So starting tomorrow, we're taking this off we have, I have a group called impact. It's my invitation only, but if you apply on my website, I'll give you access to people like I've been around. We've, we've talked about today, right? And other people that all of a sudden you have access to these people and their strategies or maybe one-on-one or in a group. It's going to be fascinating. I've people who, some of these leaders said, I would love to help you with this. So, that's called Impact. And if you go on my website tomorrow, uh, August 1st, I'd love to have you apply and see if that's something that's you.
1: Well, it interests to me. I want in. So if I understand you correctly, we go to your website, we'll see something where we click on that talks about joining Impact.
0: Right, most definitely. Wow. And, uh, yeah.
1: Wow, that's, uh, that's phenomenal. Before we part, I, if, if you have a minute, please expand on that. What is, how, how, what is Impact? How do we yeah. impact?
0: Well, where, where this sort of emanated from is one of the most powerful things that I've done since the plane crash is, you know, I've been a part of a mastermind group. And, you know, I mean, being around 11 other individuals who have totally different mindsets op- have basically opened up my creativity side of my life, right? I wasn't thinking of things, and all of a sudden I realized people were coming to me, and I, I didn't pick up on it, Josh, for many years. I mean, people come to me all the time, I was like, listen. And you talked about, you, know, you were around Tony, you're around some of these other leaders, right? That You've been around, you know, Tom Hopkins and some of these other people in business. How can I get access to that? They wanted my strategies, right? I'm like, well, one way is that you can just call them directly. Now, I mean, that, you can do that. Or you can come into a group and I can give you access to that, right? So if you want to get a chart in front of someone like Aaron Walker, who's a self-made billionaire, right? Or me, i multi-made, I should say multi-millionaire and have access to that mindset. Or a Don Barton, or a Dominique Wilkins, or the guy who's the chief innovation officer at Chick-fil-A, who, who's in charge of the strategy, how to be innovative, which because one thing we realized, Josh, right? I learned in business, whether it's true or not these days, it's the two ways to grow a business, through marketing and innovation. If I can bring you one of the top innovators in this country, and you have access to talk to this guy about how to get your innovative self on and innovate for your business, that's a that's an amazing amazing opportunity to be in front of somebody to talk one on one with them. So that's how this came about. We call it impact because it's going to impact somewhere in your life. Well, I bring the top marketing person to, or the top innovative person, or the top leader person, or one of the top speakers in the world who may have may have not been talking about today, right? So that's how it came about, and I'm really excited about it because you know we're going to try to limit it to the amount of people because I it, you got. I don't want these, my guests to be overwhelmed. I want them to be able to talk one on one or within five or six people to get those questions answered. Like, how, how did you come up with this Chick fil A, this cow concept? You're doing a cow and a chicken commercial. How did that come up? How did someone come up with that mindset? And so someone can tell you, this is how, how you have to be innovative in business, right? You have to think outside the box. This is how you think outside the box to become one of the premier fast food companies in the country, hmm. right? Having access to these people because it's all about having the access and what you talked about earlier, Josh, is the network. If I can expand your network through my network, I just add a significant value you don't know where it's going to take you
1: like you said, expand your net worth through your network, and also another way of saying that is um, you are what do they say about you're the um, you're the sum of the, the, the five closest people you spend time with. Um, exactly. And uh, you mentioned you're part of a mastermind and all of those things. um, I know that that is the game changer. You must, you need to. I mean, just by logic and definition, who you spend time with is going to affect everything about. What's that other phrase that um, uh, uh, a a high tide rises everybody? Something like that. Yeah. So, wow. I am, um, I'm I'm going to visit that link um, first thing tomorrow, but by the time everybody's listening, it's there now on DaveSandersonspeaks.com. Yes? Most definitely. Well, this has been um, truly a pleasure, truly enlightening, fascinating, more than I could have ever hoped. When I saw your email come through to book this session, I was... I was uh, giddy, to tell you the truth. it's, It's such a pleasure and an honor to learn from you, to be with you. Thank you for spending your time with us.
0: Thank you very much, Josh. I'm honored to be with you today.
1: Absolute pleasure. Everybody tuning in, thank you as well for spending your time like the theme was. I hope you got some value out of it. Love to have your input if you enjoyed it. Send us a little note. Let me know what you thought. Feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes wherever you consume your daily podcast episodes. Until next time, everybody, thank you for joining us. Go get them.